Welcome back to Spotlight 19. This podcast is produced and recorded at Holy Sound Recording Studio in Holy, New York. This is Justin Tracy, and this will be our 39th episode. It's another depressing Trump summer, but one bright spot is that our Congressman Antonio Delgado has held 16 town halls since being sworn in back in January and has promised to hold 22 town halls, two for each of the 11 counties in New York 19, by the end of August. That's 22 more open town halls than Faso had in two years. Hi everyone, this is Saja Tracy. We still actually don't know who Representative Delgado's opponent will be in November 2020, but there is this rumor floating around that she will be extremely well-funded and part of this national attempt by the Republicans to run more women nationwide. So uh, if anyone has any information, we'd love to hear from you about the opponent because the time to figure out who it is and find out more about her is now. But really what we want everyone to do is let your friends and family know about the good work that Representative Delgado has been doing. You can also donate, you can support your local elections in 2019, but all of these actions is what it will take to combat the, we know what kind of attack ads and what kind of campaign the Republicans will run against Representative Delgado because they've already started. There's these super PACs that are running ugly attack ads against him already, and we know that only more are on the way. There always seems to be endless money to fund attack ads, but none to fix the climate crisis. Anyway, I digress. Today, we are going to hear Sarge's interview with Malia Dumont, who is the head of Representative Delgado's Veterans Advisory Committee. Congressman Delgado has a few of these committees, one for agriculture, one for small business, and Fazo actually did as well, but it was really difficult to find out who the members were and what work the committees were doing. That's changed since January, so stay tuned for Malia Dumont here on Spotlight 19. Today, we're here with Malia Dumont. She's currently the chief of staff for Bard College, and she's also the head of Representative Delgado's Veterans Advisory Council. It's a committee. Committee. Yes. Okay. <laughs> committee. And um, she's joining us today on very short notice, so we're very appreciative, and we're going to talk to her about her background and what it's been like to serve on that committee um, and lots of other good things. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, so... You actually uh, started out in the Army Reserve in 1999. That's right. a, so th- is this your 20th year and as an active member? Uh, yes. Well, I, I spent a couple years in the inactive ready reserve in the middle. Um, so I have been in the Army Reserve almost 20 years, but they don't all count as active years. But so you have though been through as a as a member, or, and you ended with the rank of major, or that's what your current rank mm-hmm. is. I can't say ended because you're <laughs> still active. Uh, you've been through a number of different 
conflicts and de- you've been deployed around the world, correct? Or I spent a year in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, I also served in uniform uh, at NATO, and I've done, um, where else, in the Pentagon. <laughs> so what kind of, uh, what led you to the, a career in kind of national security and, you know, your background is also in intelligence. So mm-hmm. how did you get to that point? Right. Well, I knew I wanted to uh, study international affairs. I mean, since I was a little girl, I was interested in um, getting to know the larger world and the dynamics of nations and states. And so when I went to college, I studied international relations. And then as I went through college, I started sort of winnowing that down um, into international security rather than something like international development, because I was really interested in how states wield power um, and when I went, went to grad school, I, I really focused on international security policy um, with the idea that I wanted to work um, you know, advising the National Security Council or working in the Pentagon on military defense policy, um, things like that. So I, I, at the same time, I was, I was interested in serving myself. It's not just an academic and career interest. It's, you know, I wanted to, to serve, and so... Um, I decided to enlist in the Army and become an intelligence specialist. I thought that would be really interesting. Um, and so I, I did that. At the same time I went to grad school, I enlisted and I was um, going through my, you know, I went through boot camp the summer in between my two years of grad school. And then the minute I graduated, like two days later, I was on a plane to my advanced training. and was actually in my advanced training when 9-11 happened, and, and my battalion got called up just a couple of days later. It was one of the first reserve battalions to get called up, and we were um, an intelligence battalion, so we had interrogators and linguists and counterintelligence specialists, so exactly the kind of people they really needed. So we got sent off all, all over the place uh, for a year. Wow. So uh, at that time, what was it like to kind of face the unknown, really, at that point, right after 9-11, I don't think many people uh, knew what the future held in terms of national security and um, the conflicts that we were about to get ourselves into as a nation. And I'm thinking back to 9-11 because actually, coincidentally, today I think the bill is being signed for the 9-11 Victims um, Act. It's Mm. being signed today, so uh, interesting coincidence. So what was it like to be deployed and, you know, at the time you perhaps signed up and signed on, um, mm-hmm. we were at relative peace, yeah. I think you could right. say that. Yes. Yeah, so when I enlisted in 1999, um, I enlisted in the reserve thinking, you know, I, I want to serve in the military, but um, but I want to pursue my civilian career, and so I'm not joining the regular army, I just, I want to be there if my country needs me. And of course, nobody expected that 9-11 would happen in our country mm-hmm. would need us so so quickly. Um, so I, I remember very vividly 9-11. Um, you know, when you're in training, you're you're completely isolated in a way. Uh, you know, we didn't have cell phones out there. We didn't know what was going on. And so we were in a classroom um, when the, the, plane, the first plane went into the building. And then um, we marched down to the dining facility for... Um, for I think it, this was out in Arizona um, for breakfast, and some drill sergeant that we'd never seen before materialized <laughs> out of nowhere and said um, they crashed a plane into the into the building and they bombed the Pentagon. 
and then the guy disappeared and we're standing there we're like we you know what what are we supposed to do and so half the people went into they're like okay i'm gonna have breakfast because uh but you know we were quickly organized and we had to do 24-hour patrols we were in the middle of nowhere arizona but nobody knew where the next threat was going to come from and we thought you know we're at the u.s army intelligence training center that's probably a pretty important place even though it's the middle of nowhere arizona so we were doing patrols in the middle of the night um and even after my unit got called up i mean a lot of units got called up a lot of reserve units got called up and 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 then you know deployed or or sent to live in hotels near military bases because they called up so many they didn't have space for a lot of them um without knowing how they were going to be used and fortunately my unit because we were intelligence they ended up needing us and so but it, it took months before the army figured out okay well we need to send five people to Kabul and we need to send um three people down to um central command and so that, you know two people mm-hmm. to Guantanamo so but there were units that sat around for a year without really doing much other than guarding the gates at military bases so what year were you actually deployed in Afghanistan that was 0607. So that was many years later um uh after I had already I moved to DC. I was wor- I worked for several years in DC for a, a government funded think tank. Um and then I decided um for a number of reasons that I wanted to volunteer for deployment and mm-hmm. um I just found a really great deployment working in the headquarters in in Kabul as as an intelligence analyst. And by that time I was an officer. So I was an intelligence officer. Um, and this was before the so-called surge, and mm-hmm. so we didn't have that many people overall in Afghanistan. The theater headquarters, and the, the intelligence director in the theater headquarters, we had, I want to say, less than 20 people doing 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 24-hour intelligence um, wow. for the theater headquarters. That's not what you it envision was, when you think about the... I guess it's the longest war right now. It is, The yeah. conflict in Afghanistan, because it's still an open-ended... Right, and a lot of people forgot we were there, and we were sort of an afterthought after Iraq, because there were so many more troops in mm-hmm. Iraq. And sometimes we would get some VIP who had visited Iraq first, and then sort of tacked on a visit to Afghanistan afterwards, and they were just, they were surprised. I mean, they weren't disappointed in the work we were doing, actually. I mean, the military is so hierarchical, when you add people you're adding lots of layers of bureaucracy and so sure. i remember um one person i think it was a senator coming through no it was it was a it was like a general coming through and, and he looked around and he got the briefings from us and he said i just came from iraq and they have three times more people there but they're only producing one third more <laughs> more intelligence um and it's because it just you just add the layers of bureaucracy and, and extra process when you have that many more sure. people and then I guess I'm kind of skipping around in these large chunks in your career, but you are now in the Hudson Valley. Right. What brought you here and how did you end up uh, at Bard? So I went to Bard as an undergraduate. That's where my bachelor's degree is from. Um, I had never been to the Hudson Valley before coming to Bard, but I loved it. It's just so beautiful and I felt really at home here. Uh, and I always wanted to come back at some point and maybe be a professor and teach a couple classes. I thought that'd be really fun. Um, but then a couple years ago, I was at a point in my career where I had, I had risen pretty high in the Pentagon and I thought, um, you know, I've gone about as far as I 
can go um, without getting a political appointment. And so I wanted to try something a little bit different. I went into finance for a little while, and um, it wasn't really for me. I mean, I, I did did well at it, but I just didn't enjoy it very much. Mm-hmm. And and um, I was in New York City for that. And I started really thinking I was getting more involved in BARD as an alum of the school and just loved what, what the college is doing. It just uh, has such a fascinating international network, and um, it, it does so much to serve um, underserved populations. And I thought, I want to get more involved in BARD, and I don't want to wait until later in my career. So I was ready to leave finance, and so I, I literally, um, I, I ran into the president of BARD <laughs> on an airplane, and uh, that started a conversation where I said, I, I would love to come work for you. And so um, he created a position for me as his chief of staff, and um, it's been almost exactly two years, and I, I love it. I, I love working here. I love the Hudson Valley. Um, I love living in Kingston. It's such a, an exciting and energetic community. And so I'm, I'm really happy with the move. Right. And uh, back, I believe, in, is it May or April, you were appointed to by Representative Antonio Delgado mm-hmm. to lead the Veterans Advisory Committee. Mm-hmm. Um, and how did you meet our congressman? Mm-hmm. Um, how did that really come into being? I know he had um, a group that was advising him during the campaign, right. and uh, he's really kind of elevated ve- veterans' issues um as part of, I mean, he's been very prolific in his legislation, yeah. um, which is unusual for a freshman uh, right. congressman. Um, but how did that connection happen? So it actually happened at first because I was um, I was on the Veterans Advisory Committee when FOSTA was congressman. So I should point mm-hmm. out that the Veterans Advisory Committee, in general, it's a nonpartisan group. Okay. And so it, it um, the membership changes a little bit according to, um, you know, whoever... The, the congressperson is, but there are people like me who are who are there for not because we're necessarily it, it, we're not there for political reasons, right? Mm-hmm. We're there to advise whoever our representative is on veterans' issues. So um, I uh, I met uh, Congressman Faso when he he came to Bard. Um, you know, some of my work at Bard was was working with him and his staff. And I said, hey, I'm I'm a veteran. I and I know you have this committee that advises mm-hmm. you. I would like to join it. And so he was very happy to have me join the committee. And, um, and then when, um, when Delgado um, uh, became the, uh, the nominee, um, I became aware of this group that was advising him. And so I, um, I joined, uh, joined them. Um, and after he was elected, uh, there was someone else who was the chair um, who was really active and, and who, who's actually from this region, had lived in the Hudson Valley longer, is very active in veterans issues and was, was chair of the committee. And then she got a job actually as the, the first staff member of the Congressional Women's Task Force. Oh, wow. The Congressional um, Veterans Women's Task Force um, in, in D.C. So she moved to D.C. to work on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw an opportunity to, um, to, to help grow this committee and, and take it in some new directions. So I, I wrote to Congressman Delgado and I said, you know, I, I would really like to work with you. I don't know what your plans for the committee are. Maybe you're not going to have another chair. I don't know. But if you are, um, I would like to be considered for that role because um, I'm really interested, for example, in student veteran issues. And, and that hadn't been talked about very much in, in the various committee meetings that I'd, I'd been to either under Congressman Faso or, or 
with Delgado. It's it's just um, you know younger veterans, student veterans. They they tend to be much younger and. Um, they're not necessarily as plugged into the veterans community, and so they don't. Their their issues aren't as well understood or well publicized. And, but as someone who works in higher education, I I do see that, and I'm concerned about student veterans and whether they're getting the benefits that they're 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 owed. Um, and it's often very very complicated. I mean, working with the VA to get medical benefits is very complicated, but it's equally complicated. A lot of people don't realize working with uh, the various um, uh, you know, institutions that, that do all the student veteran benefits. It's, it's really um, a, a, an equally complex yet completely different set of challenges uh, that hasn't been highlighted as much. So I, I told Congressman Delgado that was something I was interested in, in working on and, and maybe even having some student veteran uh, representation on the committee. So we've, we've talked about that and we're, we're looking into that. Um, and and maybe just also um, maybe expanding the membership of the committee a little bit, um, making sure that that people are are aware of what the committee is is doing. How many members are on the committee now? Uh, there are twenty five. Mm-hmm. It is, um, and, and that includes the uh, the directors of all the county level veteran mm-hmm. service organizations um, in the district, and then so that's uh, eleven, right? <laughs> Because uh, there's 11 counties yes. in New York, 19. Right, and some um, counties have a couple couple staff members who are on the committee, and then just um, collection of other veterans who are active in the area. So hopefully, you don't mind. I am going to shift the conversation to women veterans. Oh, yeah. um, how many women are on the committee? Because that's something I know that there was a visit um, to a VA clinic up in Albany mm-hmm. um, that focuses on women's issues specifically. Uh, how have you know, you talked about student issues, but how yeah. wi- women are uh, the fastest growing subset of right. veterans? Mm-hmm. Is that correct? It is correct, yes. Um, well, so uh, there are, I think it's three, three, maybe four um, women on the committee. I should have reviewed the list right before I came here. Um, but it's it's a much smaller number, and that reflects the fact that there are you know, many fewer female veterans. There are about 40,000 veterans in this district, as far as we know, mm-hmm. and a couple thousand of them are, are women. Um, so it's it can be hard to I- identify. Um, there isn't necessarily a place in the district where, you know, female veterans um, go. Um, there isn't a female, um, a clinic that, for example, you mentioned the Albany Clinic. Um, that's not in the district. There's, there's no VA clinic in the district that offers... Um, like gynecological services or has a mammogram machine. There's not anywhere in the district. And so female veterans have to go outside the district to get that kind of care. Uh, So it's hard to figure out I mean, women as a whole actually are losing... The Columbia um, Medical Center is closing its maternity ward. So I think women as a whole are becoming less and less served in rural areas for sure. But... um, Mm -hmm you know, the lack of a VA clinic um, for women veterans who are facing, like, dif- a different set of health yeah. issues than, um, you know, their male car- counterparts. And a different set of challenges to get access to health care, too. It's it's not just the different health needs, but also it's, it's so much more common for female veterans to have, to be single mothers, for example, to have to have to take care of their children. And so if they don't have access to health care, especially if they have to spend the whole day driving up to Albany and back, then there's no way they can go to the VA clinic, the only VA clinic in the area that, that can actually serve mm-hmm. them. So that's that's definitely a challenge. 
so what kind of benefits do actually female veterans um, can they get? Because something that occurred to me just in preparing for this interview is that many are deployed, you know, while they're, um, you know, during their, I hate saying it, but their most like child rearing mm. years. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these big tech companies are offer offer. Um, you know, egg freezing and these sorts of fertility services. Oh. I would doubt highly that the oh VA goodness. has so anything I've, I've never comparable. Anyone bring that up. But <laughs> I was just wondering, just because it crossed my mind, yeah. do our veterans, are they entitled to anything like that? Or probably not, I'm going to go I've with. never heard of anything like that. Um, pro- probably, no. But I, I, as the subset grows, it's yeah. going to be younger women. Um, do you think that will ever cross any task or um, I come up? I highly doubt it. I highly doubt it. Because... Um, because right now they're not even getting their basic needs right. met. And, and those are kind of over and beyond. Right. Um, and that, that's... Um, you know, I, I... I'm just... I don't know what the arguments against it would be, but I'm guessing would say, well, it's not the Army's job to make sure you can have kids. <laughs> no, it's not. If, if you have kids, then... You know, once you have them, then then the army will. I didn't mean to throw this. Yeah, no, it just um, kind of crossed my mind. But um, but I can imagine that would be that would be the argument. Um, In terms of the overall veteran population in this district specifically, what do you what do you think are kind of the two biggest problems that are facing our veterans here? I I think it's. getting their um, their benefits claims with the VA mm-hmm. processed and um, in an accurate and timely manner. I hear over and over again about um, veterans who have been, you know, working for, for years to get um, their dis- disability claim processed. And um, when they clearly have a, a service-related disability, um, but the VA loses the paperwork or, um, or there's a dispute over how, you know, what the percentage of disability is. So I'd say that's probably far and away the the number one issue that um, that we hear about a lot with veterans. And uh, d- does the committee kind of assist with that, or do the veterans usually get referred to their counties, county level? So the, the committee, um, the role of the committee, um, the committee is an advisory committee, mm-hmm. so the committee itself doesn't have any authority or power, um, but our role is to advise our, our, our congressperson of um, about issues that we think we, we need his help on, whether it's you know, legislation or um, having his veterans liaison staff work these issues and mm-hmm. actually intervene with, with the VA. Um, so the, the agendas for the committee meetings, which happen about quarterly, they're, they're created by the members of the committee saying, I want the congressman to hear about this, or I need his reaction to, or I need his help with this. Uh, or there's such and such legislation coming up and he needs to understand the implications of it for veterans. Um, and then sometimes, um, you know, he, he's, he's actually done a lot um, on legislation with veterans and he'll, um, he'll send his ideas about that to the committee through me. So the staff will reach out to me and say, he's going to do an interview about some, you know, veterans issue XYZ. Can you please... Yeah, let the committee know and see if they have any advice for him on this. Or he's considering signing on to this bill, or he's considering um, sponsoring such and such a bill for veterans. Um, what does the committee think about that? And so it's it's kind of a, a two-way street of, of advising him and, and making sure that um, 
he has all the knowledge he needs to help veterans. And, um, you know, as the, uh, in the position of leadership for the committee, do you have any say in, you know, the direction it might take or, you know, you mentioned student veterans issues. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have, um, some authority over some of the issues that the committee as a whole will look into? Well, definitely. I mean, so I'm the one that organizes the agenda. Mm -hmm. when, when, whenever the meetings get scheduled, I reach out to find out um, from the committee members what they want to bring up. But then, you know, I, I add my own spin to that as well. So, for example, at our previous meeting, um, you know, veteran homelessness is a is a big problem sure, in this country. Absolutely. Um, and but we're in a very rural area, and so for me, it was a real question. You know, you hear so much about veteran homelessness in, in cities, um, but how much of it is a problem? here and, and what does it look like here in this rural area so um, we're actually um, really um, it makes a good thing in Kingston we have um, a, a home for right. um, a transitional home for homeless veterans and it's a great great program um, it's the only one in the district that I'm aware of and so we uh, I asked um, the, the person who runs it to to give a presentation on that so that the other county VSOs could hear about you know, how that was started, you know, what it took for the Ulster County VSO working with the city of Kingston to establish that, how well does it work, how do um, veterans get referred to it, how do they know it's there for them, um, and how much of a problem is homelessness in, in this community. And um, it seems like that home is running really well, um, but it's for, uh, it's for single men. And so for me, you know, a question is, how much of a problem is female veteran homelessness in this district? And that's, that's a question we don't have an answer to. But I, I, I am able to bring those questions up and sort of shape the agenda and make sure we're talking about these things in the committee. Well, it sounds like you guys are working on a lot of uh, great things. There's a lot of work to do because of these issues in such a vast district, and we talk about this yeah. a lot on the show, it's really hard to pinpoint where the needs are yeah. because it varies so much. Um, even within, just within Ulster County, there's... Catskills, there's where right. it gets very remote, and it's mm -hmm. you know there's there's not even great cell service in some of the towns in, within Ulster County, right. um, and you really have to go almost door to door to find some of the answers to the questions um, that you that you are looking to solve. Right. Um, well, this has been really fascinating. Is there anything that you think we need to to touch on before uh, we call it a day? Well, I just want to thank you for um, for inviting me because I think um, I'll I'll just mention that I've been very impressed with uh, Congressman Delgado's attention to veterans issues. You know, to be honest, I, I wasn't necessarily expecting that um, because it's kind of rare for someone who is not from a military family who doesn't have mili you know personal military experience to be so devoted to veterans. And um, so I, I was really pleasantly surprised when like, his first legislative item was to. Um, was to have this bill on service to disabled veterans small business continuation act. Um, I, I I didn't expect it, and he's he's just been he's paid a lot of attention to this, and he's um, visited a lot of different uh, veterans organizations in the district. Which is sure, great. I think um, not even I think you can't even go two weeks without hearing some sort of visit or specific mm -hmm. legislation that he's working on that pertains to our veterans yeah. and military families, which has most, been interesting. Yeah. His most recent work week in the district, I mean, his staff called called me up a couple weeks in advance. They said he, he wants that work week to focus on veterans issues, and especially the intersection between veterans and, um, and farming. 
and um, oh we didn't even get to that I yeah forgot. Oh, well, it's better. <laughs> there's a lot to talk about yeah <laughs> that's why so uh, you know that that was great so he, he literally spent an entire week visiting different um veterans uh, um in, around the district mm-hmm. and, and different organizations that are serving veterans so i got to go with him on a lot of those visits it was great um and i think he's he's bringing a lot of attention to these issues which people just don't realize how much of a need there is Right, and I think he's doing a good job of letting his constituents know um, what he's been up to and how uh, it's kind of translating into legislation. It's not just a visit for a photo op. It's going to potentially lead to something more tangible. Um, Well, how can our listeners find out more about you, um, BARD, and some of the work that the Veterans um, Committee is doing? So the Veterans Committee, um, we don't necessarily, um, we don't have a website mm-hmm. or anything like that, because um, our job is mainly to advise Sure. Him. So the best way to know what's happening with us is to follow him, and uh, I mean, he does have a lot to say about veterans, so it, it comes up pretty regularly. Um, if anyone is interested in, in learning more about the committee, if there are veterans out there that um, would are interested in maybe bringing an issue to our attention or, or maybe even joining the committee, um, they can reach out to me personally. Um, my email address is maliakdumont at gmail.com. That's M-A-L-I-A-K-D-U-M-O-N-T at gmail.com. Um, or you can call his uh, his office in Kingston, his his veterans liaison there, Ryan O'Sullivan, um, can can be very helpful. We'll make sure to put both your email and Ryan's contact information in the description of the podcast as well, okay, so um, people can easily get to it, and we'll repeat it too at the end. Um, well, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been fascinating, and we really appreciate uh, you letting our listeners know what our congressman is up to and a little bit more about your background. Great. Thank you so much for inviting me. Lots of interesting stuff in that interview. Thank you to Malia Dumont. And you can learn more about the Veterans Advisory Committee by visiting Delgado's website, delgado.house.gov. On September 29th, between 2 and 5 p.m., Spotlight 19 will be hosting a Lawn Games fundraiser for Dave Clegg, former New York 19 congressional candidate and current candidate for Ulster County District Attorney. If you're interested in attending and supporting Dave, send an email to nyspotlight19 at gmail.com. That's nyspotlight19 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until our next episode, keep the faith.